Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free, <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello, bonjour, salut, et bienvenue à Movie Oubliette, the intercontinental artistic podcast on forgotten fantastic films with me, Conrad, making sure my bookshelves look impressive for Zoom calls in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, regretfully going back into lockdown in Melbourne, Australia. Oh. We focus on science fiction, fantasy and horror movies because we love little girls negotiating mazes with string tied around their waists, people being forced to watch their own death and poisonous robot fleas. <laughs> wow, that intro, Conrad, so sophisticated. <laughs> I feel like I should be sipping on a glass of wine. Ah, yes, wouldn't that be nice? Mm. <laughs> So how are you doing? You're back in lockdown again. Yes, back in lockdown. We're doing terribly oh. down here in Melbourne, but hopefully we'll get out under control. Oh. We're slowly sort of emerging, but we have local outbreaks. Like we have one city called Leicester that was put in lockdown. It may, oh. may be out of it by the time this episode goes out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's a strange time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, got to roll with the punches, I guess. I guess it gives us more time to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been trying. I mean, I finally finished a video essay for our YouTube channel, which is something I haven't done for a while. Ah, yeah. For that movie that you love so much. <laughs> I know, yes. So it's all about the fact that I watched 1917, the whole of the beginning of the year, while cinemas were open and then they closed. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's called I Watched 1917 Nine Times and This Is What I Learned. Mm. It's sort of an analysis of the film and also talking about what it's like to watch a movie that many times and also talking about how we can't go to the movies anymore. Right. And how that makes us feel. <laughs> right. So everyone, please check out our YouTube channel now and watch it. Yes. So, Conrad, have our listeners been in contact with us this week? They have, yes. Lots of love for Explorers. Eddie's video said on Instagram, I'm one of the 17 people who saw it. Ha ha. And oh. damn proud. <laughs> 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 Happy birthday, Explorers. Yeah. So that was exciting. Yes, he was reacting to Robert Picardo's wonderful opening joke when we were interviewing him, saying that uh, we were among the 17 people who'd seen Explorers when it first came out. Right. I'm sure it was a few more than that. That's a poor movie. <laughs> so sad. Still hilarious, though. Yes. Uh, yeah, I love that guy. In fact, we had lots of love for Robert Picardo being on the show. Nick Hardy said, Wow, good work, guys. Robert Picardo is a legend. Love the fact that Joe Dante regularly used the same actors in his films. Makes watching them a little more fun than they already are. Which is true, actually. Yeah. I love the fact that Dick Miller just pops up, even in The Hole, the movie that we did, which was a relatively recent one. Yeah. And... He's just there delivering a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Which I remember you weren't very impressed with as a cameo. Oh, it was so bizarre, though. I mean, if I hadn't <laughs> known it was a cameo... I mean, I didn't know it was a cameo when I watched it, so... And, this, who's this old guy? Yeah, exactly. Why is there this 80-year-old guy delivering pizza? Surely <laughs> he would have had sort of high aspirations for his career. Well... <laughs> Yeah, quite. <laughs> but meanwhile, all of us Dante fans are like, hey, there's Dick. <laughs> and also some love for Jerry Goldsmith from Oblivion's Muse. Still one of my favourite soundtracks by Jerry Goldsmith and still love this movie. So oh, nice you're not alone, Conrad, about the I'm score. I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we got the verdict from Surge on Explorers, which I was very nervous about. Oh, Surge yes. of Cold Crash Pictures. Hey, Surge. Hey, Surge. And he said, I always liked the shaggy dog ending of Explorers, where the kids finally meet the aliens and they're not what he expected. Prometheus wishes. 
It's a shame Dante couldn't finish the film the way he wanted, because the ending feels discordant, but I really love the ideas it plays with. And this is one of my favourite childhood movies. So wow. yay. Okay. Which I, I find impressive because Serge is a few years younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> Just a few. He wasn't an eighties kid, but let's put it that way. But okay. he still remembers it from his childhood. So, oh wow! I find it funny. Every country in the world had a different set of movies that used to always be played on television. Yeah, and yeah, Explorers did not make it down to New Zealand at all. <laughs> no. Oh, that's amazing. It was a, quite a hit on cable, I think, in America. Ah, right. I don't know when I first saw it. I really cannot remember, but I do remember having the VHS, and I still have the VHS. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I tweeted out an image of the cover on Sunday. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, that's all the mailbag we've had recently, but we do love hearing from you, so please do get in touch. Yes, please do. So, onward, Dan. We need to get a film for us to talk about today, especially seeing as we have a guest coming. Better hop on over to that oubliette and find something for us. Righto, here I go. I'm suddenly at the docks. <laughs> Weird. Why? I don't know. And what's that sound? Oh no, I'm getting compelled to walk this way. You seem to be in a trance or something. Oh, and now I'm dueling. <laughs> oh, here's the film, I guess. Watch out for that ship. Ah, getting out of here. Right, here I am, <laughs> returned. <laughs> Safe and sound. From a very strange green colour palleted environment. <laughs> yeah. So what have you got for us? Uh, today I have the 1995 French movie, The City of Lost Children, directed by Marc Carreau and Jean-Pierre Genet of uh, Amelie fame. Oh, yes. I dimly remember watching this a very long time ago, but I cannot remember what happens in it. Well, The City of Lost Children follows one, played by none other than Ron Perlman, uh, oh. <laughs> who is the circus strongman after his little brother gets abducted by a gang of sight and sound challenge cyclopses? Cyclopses? <laughs> One teams up with the young thief Miet. They come up against conniving conjoint twins, enslaving fleas, incompetent clones, a three-foot-tall woman, and an old man intent on having just one good dream yeah. <laughs> it's dark it's weird it's steampunk it's the city of lost children wow <laughs> i cannot wait to try and figure this one out well we'll have a guest to help us decipher this film <laughs> can't wait Our special guest today is an actor, producer and popcorn enthusiast who was plucked from a quiet life in her native Sweden and thrust into the Hollywood limelight after co-creating and starring in a series of fiercely original and disturbing horror shorts. She's gone on to appear in the feature-length recreation of her short Lights Out, as well as starring in Annabelle Creation and my new favourite Christmas movie, Shazam. I'm very excited to welcome Luke de Lust. Hey! Hey. Welcome! Thank you! (laughs) It's great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How have you been coping in lockdown? Well, I think it's both been like business as usual because David and I were kind of in between things right now anyway, so we wouldn't have been going to an office or working on a project right now anyways Mm -hmm. but then we probably would have hung out with people a little bit more so it has now (laughs) it is starting to feel a bit much 
it's stretching out into this new normal that is not what you want the normal to be like. Mm, For sure. Yeah, it's interesting times. Yeah. I know that we're past the halfway point. We've spent more of the year in lockdown than out of it at this point. Mm. Um, yeah. But still, plenty of time to sit and catch up on great movies that you might have missed. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Also, lockdown has prompted you to make more shorts, Lotta. Yeah. So it's really great to see <laughs> the horror shorts back on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, that has actually been the weirdly positive side of corona sure. <laughs> because David and I haven't had time to make I've had more way more time than David has had so I've been like climbing on the walls being like oh, I want to make shorts again so now when we finally had time together again uh yeah it's been great and it's actually been really fun and uh, oh wow it feels like we realized that we've actually learned stuff mm-hmm. since coming here <laughs> oh. which is a nice realization it's great yeah I really loved the latest one, Not Alone in Here, because in that one you actually had a narratorial voice. Yeah. Which I don't think we've had before. No, it's just been like, oh shit, or like (laughs) short phrases, oh no, things like that. Mm. We didn't want to have any spoken lines before because it was nice that it could be spread all over the world without anybody having to know a language. Mm -hmm. Mm. But we have been talking about giving me more to do in the shorts because the previous ones are quite technical and they don't really show what I can do acting wise. And Mm -hmm. we've been wanting to put things out where I feel like, oh, this is actually giving me more to do so people can see that, oh, she actually can act. Mm. (laughs) So that's been really nice with the latest one that we could actually give me a little bit more to do. And it was also just fun to try a new way of filmmaking. We decided first off that we were going to do a a voiceover. Mm -hmm. So that came first and it was fun to just play around with that idea. What could we do now that we couldn't do in our previous shorts? Mm, Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it is very cool because it's darkly humorous in in a few places, but it's also psychologically much more disturbing. Yes. So I loved it. Me too. Thank you. Yes, I did go on a binge on all the shorts all at once and I was just <laughs> like clutching my pillow on every one of them. <laughs> and see all the places we've lived. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it must be kind of a weird photo album for you to look back on. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We went back to Sweden last year to move all our stuff because we still had our apartment in Gothenburg oh. uh, where we shot Lights Out and most of the shorts. And we were paying rent for it, but it was mostly just very expensive storage by that point. So we yeah. gave it up and put everything in a real storage. But <laughs> yeah. it was wild because we haven't been there in so long. And the neighbors were coming out of their apartments and were like, you've made it scary to go to the basement to do laundry. And you've made it scary to go to the attic. And we've never thought about that. We, we had never taken that in consideration. Like we have a younger couple living right opposite of our apartment and they both came out and had like scary stories to tell about how the lights kept (laughs) flickering on and off and it's like it's just like in your shorts (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah I guess these like uh, iconic horror locations now yeah I hope the neighbors (laughs) tell the new people uh, what their apartment has been through. (laughs) Probably bumps up the value for sure (laughs) or not oh (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? So today we're here to talk about a unique film, The City of Lost Children, the 1995 movie directed by Marc Caro and Jean-Pierre Gineau. And you chose this film for us, Lota. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could kick us off by talking about your relationship with the film when you first saw it and why you were keen to revisit it again. I actually don't really remember when I first saw it, but I think it was sometime in the late, late 90s. But then I rewatched it with David 2012 or something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw it then just because I had watched Amelie and loved it so much and realized it was the same director. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go back and David hadn't seen it. So I was like, oh, you have to see this movie. And he thought it was way too whimsical, but it's right up my alley. I yeah. I think I accept the, the weirdness. <laughs> Yes. A little more easily than he does. <laughs> but I haven't seen it in such a long time. And when you asked me about a movie, I'm like, 
I don't even remember if it's good or bad anymore. I don't even remember what it's about. I just have mm. like weird glimpses of things. That's funny. I remember seeing it when it first came out. I was a student at the time, so I was trying to be more arty and watch international movies. And I remember nothing about it other than, for some reason, the image of the mechanical flea. Yeah. Right. And it's it's 25th anniversary this year. It's 25 years ago. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's quite an experience to watch it again. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I didn't watch it. Well, I was in uni at the time, but it was a... A few years later. And yeah, I remember watching it because of Amelie and Delicatessen as well, which yes. is another fantastic film. Yes. Uh, I also realised that me and Hannah actually own all of his movies, mm. apart from uh, the prodigious Tess Pivot. And it's, yeah, this movie, I don't remember it either. I remember it being a dark fantasy film, and that is it. I had no idea Ron Perlman was in this movie. I don't think I even knew who Ron Perlman was at the time. Ooh. But it's super weird seeing him in a leading role speaking French. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one thing I did remember, because it's actually like the radiateur thing, he says, in my oh, yes. equally bad French, has been like a joke with me and David uh, over the years, actually. Just like when one is cold and the other one is not, like you hug and say radiateur. (laughs) And we actually saw Ron Perlman at our neighborhood grocery store once. And then it was also like... We talked about Radiator for a week after that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amazing. You, you didn't run up to him and say Radiator. <laughs> no, no, no. I, we did not. <laughs> I also really remember the Santa Claus scene in the beginning. Like when it started off, I was like, oh, yes, this I remember. It's so scary. It's so scary <sighs> when the one Santa Claus becomes two and then they just multiply and it's so twisted and scary right from the start. Yeah, and, and the sort of visuals they put on the film where everything looks like it's warping. Like I felt mm-hmm. dizzy and drunk watching it. Yeah. Uh, it was a very strange experience. It is. A lot yeah. of fisheye lens close-up faces that look warped. Yeah. <laughs> the film's quite alienating in the first act, I find. You're really thrust into these situations and you don't really have a lot of context as to what's happening and what the relationship are between different people that you're seeing or who your protagonist might be. Hmm. So I found it quite difficult to get into watching it a second time until you get to the second act and you're introduced to Ron Perlman's character one and the character Miette. I think it's translated as crumb on my subtitles. It did? Oh, mine was kept as Miette. Yeah, mine was Crumb as well. Ah, yeah. There you go. That's a wonderful relationship. And as soon as they're together and their relationship develops, mm-hmm. I'm totally sold and invested in the movie. But yeah, the first part of it really is disturbing and strange. Yeah, you're just thrown right into it and you don't understand how anything is connected. Mm. And it looks so much like a stage play in the beginning. Maybe it kept doing that, but I got used to it. But in the beginning, I thought this could actually just be on a stage. Mm. It's set the steampunky yes. feel. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that. <laughs> when did steampunk become big? Was he early with it? Like we Googled it and like it says the first time it's mentioned was like 87 or something like that. But I can't remember steampunk being big in 95. Yeah. I think it was later, right? I feel like it was... Yeah, maybe the early 2000s that it became big. Yeah. But I guess it didn't really become its own, I guess, genre until 2000. So I guess they weren't even aware that it was a real thing before that. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, but it's so steampunky. The <laughs> whole movie is so steampunky. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. But it's interesting you mentioned it looking like a stage play because that's exactly what I thought as well. Because there's so many great use of space in it as well. Everything mm-hmm. looks very crammed together as if you were watching uh, like a stage play or an opera with a set that's in a limited space. Yeah, with levels mm. like mm. built on high exactly. with staircases yeah. and things. Yeah. Uh, when I was watching the making of on the DVD, it did say that this was apparently the first French film in 40 years to be filmed entirely on a set mm. in the studio. You kind of understand why they did that because they had to have so much control of lighting. Yeah. Especially with all the clone work that they did with that character. Yeah. That was like the clone. I, I was just 
flabbergasted how they were able to achieve that by cloning that one actor over and over again. Yeah, you start to forget that it's just the one actor. Yeah, Dominique Pignon. Yeah. Because it feels like they are multitudes. How they argue about who's the original. That's yeah. so great. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really beautifully <laughs> choreographed. Yeah. And so technical as well. I mean, you've talked about how some of your shorts are really technical. That must be really tough to try to create a character and be mindful of exactly where you're standing and where the camera is. And mm. I don't know how you do both at the same time. I don't know. I mean, when we do the shorts, it's not really a story or a character. So then I just try to make it as natural as possible. But that's the one thing that I do struggle with here in Hollywood is the, like how to get into the character when everything around you is so technical and everybody's focusing on like, your hair, how the light bounces off your skin, mm. like how it looks. You're not really important until the moment you start acting. Mm. And then you're so wrapped up in all the people around you and everything. It's To me, it's really hard, but I come from stage. I've done theater. So to me, that's part of the joy of theater is that you live through it, all of it. And then the emotions come naturally when they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah that is very tough for me. It's quite the menagerie of weird and wonderful characters. And I think yeah. I really like Miette, who is this Dickensian character. She's almost like the artful dodger. And it's quite unusual to see a female character in that kind of role. Out of her and one, who is the lumbering strongman who's trying desperately to rescue his adoptive younger brother. That's the sort of inciting incident that kicks the film off. He's definitely not the brains of the operation. He's certainly the strength and the heart. Yeah. And I love the moment where she notes that they're stronger together. Oh, it's beautiful. She adds to his weight when he's like, he's the strongman mm. ripping apart chains every day. And, and her hand is the thing that makes the chain break. Mm. And when he squeezes her bicep, like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're strong. You're a strong one. That's so beautiful. It's so heartening. It's, yeah, that was a beautiful moment for me. Yeah, mm. their relationship is very endearing. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the relationship between two characters in Leon, the professional, Jean Reno and Natalie Portman, mm. a young girl with an older man, which kind of does come across a little disturbing. Like I did feel there were parts in this film that felt, oh, it's quite close I guess like when they were yeah when they're holding <laughs> yeah. he's holding her and yeah. and he's lowering the blanket to warm her shoulder mm. it's like you get that tinge of like is this going bad places yeah. but it's just not <laughs> it's just not supposed to and it, it makes you feel a bit guilty right mm. to think that because it's like yeah why what do, does my disturbed brain do now yeah. <laughs> this is meant to be the naive uh, <laughs> human relationship mm. between two people who need each other. Yeah, I think it's also a cultural difference as well. I feel like Europeans are much more affectionate towards each other. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Even watching, I watched Call Me By Your Name recently and there's a scene where the character who's like 17 is lying on top of his parents and it's just like, I would have never done that when I was 17. <laughs> it just seems like a very odd thing to do. But yeah. it's Europe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I've become Americanized maybe. since living here for <laughs> five years. But maybe it is true. Maybe we are a bit more affectionate in some ways, but we're also Swedish people are really not. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. Yeah, sure. I, I know what you mean, Dan. It does set alarm bells. It's not quite as bad as The Time Traveler's Wife. I have not seen that. Have you not seen it? I haven't seen that either. Have you not? No, it's a beautiful <laughs> book. It's a literary experience when you're just inside the mind of this time traveller who dots around in his own life and he never knows where he's going to end up. So he keeps meeting his eventual wife as a child. And so he befriends her and talks to her and, of course, eventually tells her that she's going to be his wife and that she's the one true love of his life. Now, as a literary experience... It was fine when they turned it into a movie and all of a sudden you're seeing a grown man. And of course, every time he time travels, his clothes disappear. So you're just seeing this naked man showing up, oh. grooming this 12-year-old, oh, saying, no. you're going to be my wife one day. Oh, no. And you're just watching and think, oh, no, th this doesn't translate visually at all. This is really bad. But you, wow. I don't think you get that with Ron Perlman and Miette. 
No, they're lovely. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not really portrayed as seedy or sleazy in any way outside of their relationship, so it kind of does work. I did find his acting, I guess because he was speaking French, he didn't speak French, he had to just memorise his lines. I found his acting quite over dramatic, uh, almost like I was watching a silent film, like you didn't even have to understand what he was saying, he was just being very physical with his acting. Yeah, and it's like he uses one-word sentences because he doesn't know the language. Yes. And that's yes. the point because he was a sailor before, so I imagine that he comes from far away. Sure. He's just physical, that's all he mm. his character is. Yeah. It's not at all about the words. Yeah. And he needs to get his little brother. <laughs> yeah. I love when she asks him what's it like to have a little brother and he says keeps you running. So again, <laughs> even that relationship he visualizes just in a physical sense that he has to just yeah. keep running to keep up with this little kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's also so lovely when he says that she's little sister mm. because her face there when she's like hears that and it warms her so much, it's mm. just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. She's so great in this. She really warms up throughout the film because I think mm -hmm. when you first meet her, she is hard as nails. She's always on the defensive. She's ready to attack all of her peers who obviously are vying for position in her little gang of pickpockets and thieves out on the street for the octopus gathering their daily crust. And to see her defences slowly break away as she's helping this slumbering giant rescue his adoptive little brother. It's its a wonderful arc for her, I think. Yes. Yeah, which makes it so awful when uh, he gets poisoned by the flea um, and starts to choke her. Yeah. And it's so awful because you're like, you know that she can't understand why and that he just tattooed her name on his arm and... She was supposed to be his little sister, and now he's trying to kill her. And it's, it hurts so much to watch that, right? Oh, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah. It's really disturbing, especially when he slaps her the first time and she falls over. The look of hurt in her eyes. Yeah. It's devastating. Yeah, and I don't think you see in movies grown men slapping children like that because it's like we have <laughs> no. that limit like even if it's a movie and we're supposed to portray something awful that's just not something we show which is like the wrong way to go you should be able to show just how awful a person is mm, uh, if it's just the movie but yeah that's i think why it, it hits you so hard Mm. You're not used to seeing that, and it's not good. <laughs> yeah. I do like how the movie does give her sort of the hero role at the end as well. Like, she kind of saves the day. She goes into the dream and saves the boy and overcomes the guy. I don't even know the character's name. Oh, Crank. Crank. Yeah. Was that Crank? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that character, he is so interesting to watch. Yeah. His physical acting and just his face is just yeah. full of idiosyncrasies and... I don't know, <laughs> facial. He's more teeth than anything else. Yes. <laughs> yeah. just, and I think they make it even more clear to you because he's so close up to the camera all the time yes. with a fisheye lens. So his yes. face is just twisted. <laughs> scary man. I mean, this film does really well at portraying characters that look so unique. Like every single character looks interesting yeah. in a way that's not sort of conventional like no one apart from maybe Miet and not even Ron Ron is a very interesting looking guy there's this um, the lady that's supposed to seduce him at the bar mm. she's like very very conventionally beautiful and that's like the one scene that I feel is doesn't really work for me yeah, mm. I felt that too. I feel like, why would she be upset that he doesn't want to be with her? It just feels like it's, she's supposed to be like a sex worker, I guess. Mm. Like it's a brothel, I think. I don't know. I don't understand the motives there, really. Yeah, no. I found that scene did kind of drag a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could have been cut in half, that scene, easily, but they needed it, I guess. I think they just needed it for Miet to come in and catch them and think that he was just forgotten about her. Yeah, mm. sure. But I don't think they needed that. No, and I wanted more of a reunion for them. I mean, certainly there should be more of a scene of him realizing what he's done yeah. to her and the guilt. And instead, we just he's just drunk in a brothel. Doesn't feel quite right for him, although I suppose he is a sailor originally. So maybe he just reverts to type. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some other characters I really liked. So the octopus conjoint twins. Yeah. Oh. yeah they were fantastic. <laughs> so good. The yeah. scene where they're cooking, oh, they must have oh, practiced yeah. that so much. Like one is grating the parmesan where they're itching the other person's arm. Yeah. And she's feeding her sister the food and tasting it herself. It's so, yeah. so fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love scenes like that. And I think it feels like that's the thing that feels very connected to Amelie mm. and all his movies. Movies yes. where it's like orchestrated scenes mm. uh, that are funny because of how they're moving. Yes, mm. he really is able to sort of make something that would normally be quite mundane seem very interesting. Yeah. And even uh, like one of the scenes where one of them inhales a cigarette and then the other one exhales the smoke. It's just yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So good. It's a simple throwaway gag, but it's so good. Yeah. I love how evil they are. Yes. I love Irvin the brain with migraine as well. That's just the oh, best yeah. joke. The brain in the tank. Yeah. 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 Like his whole existence is just... A brain with a migraine. And when Crank feeds him an aspirin through like a tube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Everyone seems to be a circus performer mm. for some reason. Yeah. yeah. They're like freaks, all of them. So, And the circus director, Marcel, mm. is he like the owner of all of them then? Or has been? Well, used that's to like, be, yeah. It feels like that's the previous story that isn't really told. It's just yeah. told through some pictures. That was what I took from the title, the City of Lost Children. And of course, there is this underlying story that lots of children keep going missing because the evil crank is putting them in his thought machine just so that he can experience their dreams because he doesn't dream himself. Mm -hmm. But I thought the title could have another wider meaning, which is that it is just a city populated by lost children. Yeah. I don't think there's a representation of a relationship, an adult relationship anywhere in the movie. No. Yeah. I mean, it just seems to be a city of delinquents and castaways. And um, mm. I mean, when they do abduct the children, what happens after they put them through the dream machine? Do they throw them overboard or? I think they die. Yeah, <gasps> I think so. Because I think that's what the teddy bear represents in the beginning. Oh, the right. boy that they take, they throw the teddy bear over. And I think that's like a representation of the child being dead. Wow. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> that's pretty disturbing. I, I mean, who, maybe it's just my dark brain that goes there, but that's what I thought. Because <laughs> you never see that child again. Like, that child yeah. has the biggest, like, top lip I've ever seen <laughs> on a child. And I was, like, looking at the children, like, is that the top lip guy? It's like, no, 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 he's not there anymore. I think he, he did die in the beginning. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm interested about the demographic as well, because when you describe it, it just sounds like a children's film, like a fairy tale, like a fantasy world, but it is much darker. Mm. Yeah. I think when I first watched it at the age of 20, I don't think I really understood it. And watching it again, it made a lot more sense to me. Mm. Certainly watching it again, I am keenly aware how tonally inconsistent it is. I mean, one of the things I was going to mention in relation to those guys with the hearing aids, there is a scene in this movie that is deeply, deeply disturbing, where one of them gets poisoned by the flea with the poison that makes them go crazy and homicidal towards their friends. Mm -hmm. And he slowly forces a knife into the eye of one of his compatriots yeah. and then yes. takes the output from his seeing eye and plugs it into the input of the other one oh, yeah. yes. so that he can watch himself being strangled to death. It's yeah. really, really confronting that sequence. Oh, it's awful. I put that down in my notes as well. Like, that's the cruelest thing. Like, he really wants him to watch himself die. Mm. It's brutal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, tonally all over the place. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I would have watched this when I was a child, I would have had nightmares forever about it just because it is so scared. Like even the idea that he collects kids so he can dream mm. and he just goes through them and makes them experience awful, awful 
nightmares. Mm -hmm. And then he just discards them in pursuit of the one that could give him happy dreams. Yes. It's very sad and very awful. Yeah. But then the little brother who's not affected by it, he's just hungry. Yeah. (laughs) All the time. time. (laughs) The amount of sausages that he just brings out of his shirt sleeves is... (laughs) And they're not small either. No, no, no. My favourite is when he takes a bite out of a candle Yeah. and his reaction to it is wonderful. Yeah. But then he still goes in for a second bite. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They had lots of trouble working with the kids because they're kids, they had to direct. And there's one scene where they wanted the kids to look really surprised. And so without telling them, the whole crew dressed up with fruit and vegetables all over their heads and faces and started doing silly faces and stuff. It it just looks ridiculous just to make these kids like genuinely surprised. I was wondering about that because the the toddlers that are crying, Mm. those toddlers can't act, but they're crying for real. So I wonder what they did. Like... Oh. Maybe it was enough to see the scary Santa Claus because he is scary. But I wonder what they did afterwards, how they had to like console the little children. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's scarred. not real. Are they all scared of Santa Claus after that? Yeah. Is that like a traumatizing <laughs> experience for all of them? I hope not. I do know what they did on set in order to make them cry. Oh, yeah. yes. They're all humming. Ah. So they're all wandering around the room, not making eye contact with the children, making a loud baritone humming noise, and that freaked them out. Oh, wow. <laughs> it would me too, oh, actually. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. How did they figure that out? Like, <laughs> after many, many tests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of failed experiments. What else did they do? Yeah. I know. <laughs> so one thing I was going to ask you about was um, the central character of Miette. She's interesting to me because I was thinking about how rarely it is that you see a female character taking the lead in a fantasy. And usually when you do, the tradition is in Alice in Wonderland, Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz, and even films we've seen more recently down like Mirror Mask, Mm -hmm. they tend to have pre-adolescent girls. They're always on the cusp, that sort of bridge between adulthood and childhood. Mm -hmm. And that supposedly gives them sort of easier entry into a fantasy realm. And similarly, Lucy Pevensey is the one that gets them into Narnia and the line, the witch in the wardrobe. But when they get there, Peter Pevensey has the traditional male hero's journey, whereas female characters tend to have more of an internalised adventure through their own mind. Alice in Wonderland's always been posited as a dream. In the film version of Wizard of Oz, that's posited pretty much as a dream with figures from her real life reinterpreted into it. Mm. Mirror Mask is the same. It's all through her own imagination. What I find interesting about Miette is that in the finale, she goes into the male villain's dream and while he diminishes into a screaming man baby, (laughs) she matures into this maternal disapproving figure that doesn't seem alien. It seems like it's still her. It's very much her, just sort of the natural logical progression of her. I just thought that was fascinating and being aware of your uh, gender studies background, I was Hmm. wondering if you'd had any thoughts on this while you were watching the movie. No, I did actually think first when I saw Miet that it was a boy, which is very telling like I thought she was the boy leader of the gang so it made me quite happy when I realized and remembered that oh no no she's a girl and she's wearing a red dress all through the movie but it's not like a dress that's supposed to make her prettier it's just a kid's dress Mm -hmm. striped shirt underneath and she's very logical and reasoning and she goes after what she needs to survive. It is quite lovely. Mm. The characters aren't really their genders in this movie. It's like, except for the the lady at the brothel, I guess, who's very much a, a woman. Mm. But even the octopus sisters, they're just mean people. And it's quite <laughs> nice to see that. It's not at all about their gender. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, that's true. Uh, I did kind of laugh a little bit at that dream sequence when... Crank is getting younger and um, <laughs> Miesha is getting older because it's a classic example of morphing, which was a very prevalent effect in the 90s <laughs> and they used it and everything. But it's, they do it so well. At that point, I was like, I don't understand what's happening yeah. because I thought <laughs> part of it was real. Mm. But then I'm like, oh, no, it's just a dream. And in dreams, weird things happen. Yeah. Mm. So it's not like she's actually growing older. 
But yeah, it was hard to separate the reality from the dreams yeah. all through the movie. So at that point, I was like, I don't know what's real now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah. I mean, for me, going through my teenage and early 20s, that was the tagline that got me for all movies. Lines are blurred between reality and dream. What's real? What's not real? I <laughs> loved movies like that. Yeah. So this movie was right up my alley. Watching it again, it did remind me a lot of movies like Brazil and Dark City, mm. that sort of really dark underbelly of this world. And yeah, I love it. I love the darkness. Yeah, I do too. You just have to accept it. It's just like you can't be too logical with it. You have to just surrender to the weirdness Yes. if you're <laughs> yes. going to like it. If you're expecting a very coherent story, then you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Because it's not at all coherent. It's just very weird. <laughs> yeah. And then there are scenes like the scene where they're trying to get the key from inside the apartment oh. and they first they put in some grated cheese underneath the door and then they release a rat with a magnet on his tail and he yeah. goes inside the key gets caught on the magnet and then they release a cat in there so the rat can come outside again with the key so they have it like that's such a lovely thing i love things like that and also the domino effect at the end where it's like they're almost dying. Yeah. It's not logical at all. No. And it's really like, I've thought about it because usually movies where coincidences save them, it feels like a cheat. Mm -hmm. But these are just weird coincidences upon weird coincidences in such a fun way that you accept it. It's like, it's the loophole, <laughs> Yeah, I think. Yeah. It's so clever. I think it's because the world is so strange that mm -hmm. anything can happen, really. Yeah. So if a single tear from Yet causes a whole ship to yeah. <laughs> smash into the docks, <laughs> so be it. I will accept yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. Because you see how everything happens, and you're like, yeah, sure, that would happen. Mm. <laughs> Even if it is why Wildly insane. Yes. It's like a Rube Goldberg machine sometimes, the movie. It's, just, mm. it's one of these machines where it's just so ridiculously complicated to achieve a simple thing, but it's such a delight to watch yes. that you don't care. I think it's because it's pushed so far you don't care. Mm. Some of them are quite simple, like the moment where one, the Ron Perlman character, demonstrates that he's strong enough to lift up the safe, and it's just because he casually picks it up and slams it on a trap door to stop a dog from attacking him. Yes. Yeah. Just after they've asked who's strong enough to lift the safe, and he just does it by accident. Yeah. There are little moments like that that are just coincidental, that are cheeky and funny, but then the climax, that particular sequence, is just ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, yes. but I think like what you said before, Daniel, about like not understanding it the first time you watched it, I still don't really understand it. But I feel like what I take away from it is more like little vignettes and little fun things and the mood that it leaves behind. Mm. The sense of a weird, scary dread mm. and the fun of it as well. Like the mixture of all of that is what I love so much about it. But I'm not sure that it has like a deeper hidden meaning. Yeah. If it has, I haven't understood it. <laughs> it's just very weird and delightful. And I accept it as that. Yeah. I do have a quote and I think it's from Jean-Pierre Genet, <laughs> but it's in the making of and he says, it's a film about dreams and maybe we need to identify the dreams that we can realize. In other words, our imagination. We're very into cinema of the imagination, which is all about that. And if we don't dream, we die. We grow old before our time. That's what the film is is about in a way ah so when she grows old in his dream it was before her time yeah yeah, yeah. and she had given up her life because she's trading places with little brother mm. yeah oh that's nice yeah that did fly over my head though <laughs> it flew over my head too yeah. <laughs> now it's time for random trivia so, Dan, what fascinating piece of trivia have you managed to lure under the bottom of the door with the help of a mouse this time? I, I think, I hope this is real, but some trivia about this movie that I read was that in order to get the colour palette for the film, that really strange green kind of dark colour palette, they painted the faces of all the actors with kind of more white makeup. Mm. And so when they colour corrected the entire film so that 
the actors would have like actual skin tone and made everything else look really strange. And that's that's how they achieved that, apparently. Wow. Wow. That's so clever. I know. That's like yeah. taking it a, an extra step for sure. Yeah. They've already planned out how it would look before they shot it. Like there was mm. no room to change their mind at that point because they had already yeah. decided. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It just shows how meticulously this thing was planned in terms yeah. of its visual style. Yes. That was our random trivia. So this movie, all the visuals were adapted from the mind of Mark Caro, is that right? One of the co-directors of this film, who hasn't really done a lot since. Mm. I don't know why. No, I was surprised to see his name as a director because I didn't know that. I thought it was only Jean-Pierre. Yeah, mm. I would love to see more of his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Jean-Pierre Junot, mm. after this film, I think, was plucked out of France and given the job of directing Alien 4, which yeah. seemed like a bit of a thankless task after Alien 3. And it's very strange because it feels like if you get Jean-Pierre, you know what you get. And it doesn't feel like that fits with the whole Alien thing, right? It just feels like a studio had tried to scale it down and he was not getting to do what he wanted. Mm. And of course, because it's an alien movie, it doesn't really feel like that's the angle you should go with. It just feels like a very strange decision to choose him as a director for it because it was bound to be a disappointment for fans, right? Yeah, I mean, I wish we could have seen the movie that he wanted to make. If it was as sort of intricate and well put together as City of Lost Children, it would have been, wow, very fascinating film. I am probably alone in the entire world, but I didn't find Alien Resurrection that bad. I thought it was okay in terms of the whole Alien franchise and I enjoyed it better than Alien 3. So... I mean, (laughs) if you love his style, of course. Yeah. Uh, So we've talked a lot about the visual style of this film. I loved the audio of this movie as well. I mean, specifically, the music is breathtaking. It's the composer of Twin Peaks. Mm. Angelo Badalamonte. I love what they did with the music when the flea is supposed to be activated. Mm. Because that works so well. It's such a childish, lovely melody. And then when you hear it the third time, you know exactly what it means. And Mm. that's when... One is trying to kill Miette. Yeah. It adds so much to it. Yes, it makes it much, much more disturbing and sort of menacing. Yeah. I love it when films add sort of audio aspect as a plot point, I guess. But yeah, that piece of music with that cranking, I don't even know what that instrument is. Is that, is that like a hurdy-gurdy? Well, what is that? I don't know what it's called. I know what it's called in Swedish, but... <laughs> oh, do you? Well, what's it called in Swedish? Well, I would guess it's a spieldosa. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. It <laughs> sounds great. It's something that they use at circus. Ah, usually. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Well, that melody is haunting or haunt my dreams. Yeah, I can hear it in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Miette and one have a beautiful theme as well, a friendship theme. And it's quite powerful every time it comes up. It's really beautiful. Isn't it? mm. And it's so unusual to hear... Angelo Badalamonte doing something like this because you're so used to him doing intentionally cheesy soap opera music for Twin Peaks right? Yes. in a very different style of stripped back acoustics and largely synth. Yeah. And to hear him unleashed on this sort of orchestral scale is quite wonderful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just one of the things that makes the film endlessly fascinating to revisit despite the strangeness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I feel like the characters alone make it interesting and worth revisiting and yeah it is just kind of a series of really quirky events strung together until it finishes yeah but we love every moment of it even though it doesn't really make any sense exactly but the ending is so abrupt as well it put me in mind of when jacob gentry was talking to us about the difference between modern movies and older movies Uh that as soon as the story runs out in older movies you know that's (laughs) game over yeah there's not the grace note that you tend to have in movies now now it ends with a burp it does (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) literally yeah <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. Ah, 
can't wait to wake up from your Christmas nightmare? Join us for the Moobly Awards, where we nominate our favourite quirky clone parts of the film in the number of age-reversing fever dream categories. Best quote! Lotte, do you have a favourite quote from the movie? Radiateur. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's all, all I need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a beautiful moment, that scene. Yes. Sure. Mm. How about you, Conrad? Mine is actually one which I think is is in there as a little wink to the audience, and it's the moment when uh, Dominique Pignon is is trying to sort of carry out a secret plan because uh, Uncle Irvin has told him that he's the original, and he says, "Oh, it's hard being original." Oh yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a comment on the film itself, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I love the clones so much. They're just so comedic and captivating to watch. They're sort of antics. And yeah, my favourite quote is from them as well. It's a very simple quote. It's when the short woman is asking them, are you not men? And they (laughs) all in tandem shake their heads and go, no, (laughs) we're not. (laughs) Yeah, that's great too. Best hair or costume? There's a lot to choose from here. Mm. The costumes, of course, designed by Jean-Paul Gautier, so Ooh, <laughs> it's not uh, any oh. old rubbish. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where the stripes come in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the striped shirt. Yes. Now I see. Mm. Yeah, I thought about it. There's a scene where I think his little brother, when they run away from the place in the end, I think, and I realized that what he's wearing right now is actually what any old hipster would wear today. Yeah. It's like so <laughs> cute and stylish. It doesn't really seem like mm. it's what an orphan would wear, but I mean, I would wear what he wore. Mm, designer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And hairstyle, yeah. I would for sure say the short lady. Her hair is fantastic. Ah, yeah. yeah that's, that's my pick as well. Mademoiselle Bismuth, I think she is, mm. played by Muriel Mosset, who's only uh, three feet and 11 inches tall. Mm. Just naturally, she has quite a pointed chin yeah and so they style her hair in this is sort of massive cone shape upwards and it just makes her whole face like this enormous arm and it's it's oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's an amazing piece of character design i love it mm. most, most 90s, 90s moment the steampunk maybe yeah that's what i thought too because i don't think steampunk is so history now like you can't do anything steampunk without seeming Retro, yeah, nostalgic, yeah. Yeah, but it really must have been so on time, right before it unleashed and became big there. So it feels very end of 90s. Sure, yeah. And they used it very well. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, they did, for sure. I mean, it's certainly I see echoes of it in Dark City, which was 98, and Wild Wild West, which was more early 2000s, I think. But yeah, it's not something that you see very much now at all. Yeah, no, no, you don't. Because I I would say the most 90s part of this film was kind of, I guess it was almost 80s slash 90s, but that sort of gothic darkness of the film that it really reminded me of of early Tim Burton like Edward Scissorhands and even like the first Batman movie they had that sort of I mean it's all practical sets as well so everything felt very tangible and very kind of dark and mysterious and that sort of gothic vibe yeah if they would make remake it today they would probably make a lot of the environment CGI and that would be sad because a lot of the joy yes. in this is that it feels so homemade in many ways. Mm. Favorite scene? Maybe the the radiator scene has to be <laughs> on trend. But I also really like the the domino effect solution at the end. Yeah, that was amazing. It just escalated. Yeah. So quickly. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is the the scene where one and uh, Miet are sat under the stars and they connect and. He adopts her as his little sister. I just, yeah, yeah, that is beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And then the radiator is, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a nice little button on the end of the scene mm, that makes touching. it just so sweet. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, my favorite scene, Lotta, you've already mentioned it. It's the mouse scene with yeah. <laughs> stealing the safe. <laughs> it is so cute and quirky and just, I guess, so French as well. Yeah. 
I mean, how how does someone even think about that? That's amazing. When they put the cat through, I just lost it. Yeah. Just, it's it was just so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ingenuity in, in a lot of the scenes is what I take with me, I think. Mm, making something that would normally be quite boring to watch. So interesting. Yeah. Mm. Most cliched fantasy moment. The only thing I could think of was the pre-adolescent female fantasy character. Yeah. The Alice in Wonderland, Dorothy Gale kind of connection. But that was the only thing I could really strike upon. Yeah. The only thing I picked out, and I, I'm not even sure whether it's a cliche, but the use of circus performers often crops up in a lot of fantasy like kind of acrobats or, or little people yeah. but in this you know the conjoined twins and the flea circus guy and <laughs> you know uh, Ron Perlman as like the strong man so yeah. yeah that's the only thing that was kind of I guess a fantasy aspect favourite special, special effect, effect. The big boom at the end, maybe. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I also did really like when they're in the boat, Miet and Juan is sitting on the boat and going, I think they're going to the oil rig. Mm. And it's just a beautiful shot. It's like a lot of fog mm. and it's like a painting. And she sits in the steer mm. and he's rowing and it's really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. The yeah. ocean looks so huge. Mm. Yes. It's beautifully done. It's beautifully done. There was one logic fallacy that I noticed, though, that they go to such great lengths to try and get a map for the mines, and yet you'd think you'd hardly miss them there. I, I thought that yeah. too. And on the surface. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's even like putting the ore to it and like, <laughs> like pushing away. And I'm like, what? Is this? What? Yeah, it doesn't seem safe, does it really? But there we go. Mm. Mine is probably the morphing. And I know in morphing yeah. is a bit of a cliche in mid to late 90s, but it's so well done. Oh, I mean, it's the, incredible, yes. I mean, it helps that Crank is bald already, so him going down to a baby is, is pretty, mm. <laughs> pretty easy. But um, Miette going through various different stages of maturity to an old lady, is it's so convincing, it's mm -hmm. seamless. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because the camera is moving the entire time as well. Mm. Yeah. The cloning is also really great. I don't understand yeah. how they do that with all the clones. Yeah. Where it feels so convincing. It looks so seamless to me with the cloning. Like, I didn't even see any outlines or anything with the blue screen effects. Like, just I don't know I we take it so for granted now like cloning actors and having double ups of, of characters in movies but like I remember even watching Parent Trap and being wow how did they do that yeah <laughs> there's so many here like there sometimes they're all five of them or however many they are doing things together and it's so seamless yes there's, there's one shot where one slaps another clone and then he turns around and slaps another clone i just yeah. thought what how are they doing this best sound effect well the tune that they play to get the flea to mm. activate i really like that mm. Mm. that was yes. so well crafted and yeah so memorable yes yeah mm. well yeah. I actually quite like the sound of the flea. <laughs> yes, so, that was yeah. my pick too. <laughs> so, so when it was jumping, it had this really sort of unique like flick sound yeah. that it made. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, when it returned to uh, Marcel as well, it was like to get his attention, it was chirping. <laughs> mm. Didn't know fleas could chirp, but yeah. yeah. And it's really loud. <laughs> Yes. Considering what an important force it is in the story, I think it, yeah, it's really given a lot of presence in the soundtrack, which I love. Yes. Yeah. Most funniest scene. Irvin the migraine brain. The whole uh. thing with him and when he's getting the aspirin. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Yeah. Well, for me, it's something that we've talked about before already, which is the ridiculous chain of events that leads to the interruption to uh, one strangling yet. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I did note it down because it really is truly ridiculous. It's a teardrop from Miet 
lands on a spider's web, wakes up a bird that chirps and wakes up a dog, startles a homeless person who throws a bottle that dislodges a seagull that poos on the windshield of a car, that crashes into a fire hydrant, that washes rats into a strip club, that drives the topless dancers out onto the street, which startles an electrician... who uh, yeah shorts out the pole that he's working on and kills the electricity in the entire city knocking out the lighthouse which means the ship loses its way and crashes into the dock mm. of course and that <laughs> yeah well, what do you mean it's what <laughs> totally plausible yeah <laughs> completely yeah it's fine <laughs> it's a masterclass of uh, that particular style of theirs and it's just wonderful to watch Yes. I was just giggling throughout the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my, my favourite funny moment is when he opens the briefcase. Uh, yeah. Because seeing what looks like a hundred grown men in yeah. raincoats with funny eye gadgets jump at this tiny sound <laughs> is so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also perfectly timed. It's wonderful. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. So that's the movie awards it's that time it's the crucial moment for the final verdict should the city of lost children be rescued from the clutches of clones a three-foot woman and a dreamless old man to be revered by all or should it be strapped to an oil rig with 10 tons of dynamite blown up and left to sink to the depths of the oubliette forgotten even by the french uh, Lotto, you are our guest today. You chose this film. What are your final thoughts? I love it. Keep it. Mm. Watch it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's so weird that, I, yeah, I just accept all the weirdness uh, and I'm glad that it exists. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you just don't see movies like this anymore with so no. so much detail with all the weirdness and quirkiness as well and the fact that it is dark and funny at the same time. It's a good balance of all the things, even though it is largely a incoherent yeah. plot. And even watching it again as a grown adult, I still f- found it confusing. I had to rewind some scenes. But yeah, I think it's it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, I think so too. And it's visually, it's stunning. It's entirely homespun, as you say. A lot of it's practical or using very classical effects to mm. achieve the visual style. It's tongue in cheek. It has some moments that are really dark and disturbing, and emotionally disturbing. Mm as well but it also has a lot of heart and and it's having fun with its audience at the same time i can understand why it's in the oubliette i completely forgotten about mm, it me too. when i think of Jeannot, i think of amelie and i think of the fact that he did alien 4 and i completely forget this movie so i think it's ripe for rediscovery because as you say lotta you just it's weirdness that you can embrace it's something that you can just enjoy for what it is mm. and accept yeah. it for what it is um, yes yeah so I think people should dust this one off and give it another go. Yes. I yes, agree. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Let's set it free. Set it free. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lotta, it's been amazing having you on the podcast with us today talking Thank about you. this movie. Mm. And I'm sure all of our listeners have loved hearing your thoughts. Where can they keep up with your your adventures in in cinema and your other creative works that you're working on right now? Well, I think Instagram is my best place. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm most active. Other than that, I don't think I have anything to plug right now. Okay. Dave and I have started a production company together. Ooh. We have some things that are happening yes. once this corona mm. thing <laughs> is ending uh, <laughs> that we're working on, but nothing that you're able to watch right now. But yeah... If you follow me on Instagram, I will tell you. Mm. <laughs> What's your handle? It's just my name, so Lotta Lusten in one word. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And also, everyone has to check out all of your short films on YouTube. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and that's on the Pony Smasher YouTube channel. How did you come up with that name, by the way? <laughs> uh, the most frequently asked question, I think. Well, David started his YouTube channel when YouTube was just new, uh, and he didn't think it would take off. Oh, right. But he didn't really know what would happen with it, so he just like, oh, what should I name myself? Take a random word and put it with another random word. And that's how he came up with Pony Smasher. So oh, okay. it's, it's nothing at all. But then he became, he got some viral hits in Scandinavia before we went viral with Lights Out. So already by then, it was kind of a name. So now he is Pony Smasher. And I follow along on his channel with our shorts. So yeah, Pony Smasher. Are there any more shorts in the offing, maybe, during lockdown? Yeah, hopefully. Mm. We're taking a little break after our last one, but we have a few ideas. So, And it all depends on when things are starting up again, if we have time. Yeah, mm. But hopefully, yes. Mm. I hope at, at some stage, I don't know when, you um, revisit that, that one you were going to film in the snow, because that yeah. looked amazing yeah it was so mm. cold though so i'm not oh, even I'm sure we want to do it uh yeah our hands were like stiff as rocks afterwards oh, and it wow. took like a day or two to even like get normal body temperature back so right, i'm not right. so sure but <laughs> yeah it was very it was beautiful though but it was it's tricky as well because you can't rely on weather because who knows if, mm. if the snow will look as beautiful one day as it will the next. That was the problem yeah, we had. Yeah. The sun came yep. out and just ruined everything for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you need to build a life-size indoor set of yeah. snow so you yeah. can control everything. <laughs> exactly. And what about um, Shazam 2? Is there a likelihood that your character will make a reappearance in that even though she disintegrated so <laughs> Wonderfully. No, I don't think it's going to be the same character. Maybe I will be able to join in another character. That's what David keeps saying, at least. So, uh, And I've told them that they can hide me behind a lot of makeup and masks and things if they want to. Oh, but okay. I don't know yet. We'll see. There's lots of exciting stuff to look forward to. <laughs> but Conrad, what do we have to look forward to for our next film? Well, we have to look forward to the return of Serge Bodnachuk of Cold Crash Pictures oh, as our special guest, hooray. which is very exciting. First three-time return guest, yes. which is really great. And he chose for us the 1983 science fantasy swashbuckling film... <laughs> I do remember watching that a while ago, but I don't remember anything apart from that ridiculous weapon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which has a cameo in Ready Player One, doesn't it? Yes, I, I saw that recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so cool. Yes, it's directed by Peter Yates, written by Stanford Sherman, and stars Ken Marshall, Lizette Anthony, Freddie Jones, Francesca Annis, and a very, very young Liam Neeson. Wow. It's before he had a very special set of skills, oh, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be exciting. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, and if you listeners want to look forward to when it gets released, you can follow us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. You can also email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com if you want to share your thoughts on the film or the film we did today with Lota. Yes, and if you haven't already, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other platform you are consuming us on. And if you really love the show, and want to show us even more love, you can head on over to Patreon and support us there. For as little as a dollar, you can nominate and vote on films that we should do in future episodes. And for $5, you get access to lots of bonus material, including, for example, an extended version of our interview with Robert Picardo from the last episode. As well as that, an extended Moobly Awards with our current guest, Lotta. Yes, who has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Lotta. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks, listeners, for embarking on this very French journey. <laughs> Until next time. Bye for now. Bye. Au revoir. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and open up the movie yet. Don't worry. Petit frère. Miette.
petite sœur. »